0: The financial needs of a business go beyond tax and attest services. That's why CTBK goes beyond accounting services and offers outsourced solutions through their affiliation with CFO Solutions Plus. These additional services allow clients to focus on their operational and long-term strategic goals. Trust CTBK's outsourced solutions to provide cost-effective, value-added financial services tailored to your company's needs. Call CTBK at 716 716- 630 2400. Again, 716 630 2400. Or go to ctbk.com to learn more about CTBK's outsourced solutions. Welcome to another edition of Tim Graham and Friends, brought to you by CTBK CPAs and Business Consultants. I'm Tim Graham of The Athletic, here with my co host, Jonah Bronstein of the New Bronstein Times, the parent company of uh, Bronstein Enterprises, which has been contributing uh, to the Niagara Gazette's coverage of the basketball tournament. Jonah Bronstein is uh, coming to us now from Dayton, Ohio, where he covered the previous two games, both victories for Blue Collar U, which is now in the championship game of the $1 million winner-take-all basketball tournament, uh, in Dayton, that's going to be Tuesday night, eight o'clock, Jonah, eight o'clock, 8 o'clock ESPN. on ESPN. And, uh, we're going to have uh, former university of Buffalo basketball coach, Nate Oates. He's, uh, currently, uh, the coach at Alabama and his Alabama staff is, uh, is coaching up and running, uh, blue collar U, and, uh, they play Americana for autism. They emerged from the ultra-cool Rucker Park Regional uh, in New York City, and they are uh, uh, considered to be a talented team. However, Blue Collar U continues to handle talented teams that have uh, NBA talent, G League talent, blue chip recruit, major university talent. Uh, and uh, here, Blue Collar U stands one victory away from a million dollars. So what's been your take, Jonah, from from courtside? You've covered – were also at the um, – I guess, what were they calling it? The Syracuse Regional?
1: But Syracuse it was in Onondaga, right? Well, it was in Syracuse, but it wasn't at the Dome. Onondaga right. Community College has a, gotcha, a gotcha. real nice arena. It's pretty new, and for a junior college, it's as good as it gets. But and that the was the round area, of 16
0: games. game, and then you've also covered the – Elite eight game and the final it, four game. No, no, no. It's I'm. The, yes, uh, you did. Yes, you it, did. The
1: Super 16 and the epic eight. I'm not really sure what we get down to with four. the fantastic four. Is that what um, they're
0: calling it or that's what you're making it up? To I saw that in the media
1: the, guide for, pre- I think they tried to do that for previous years and now they just go semifinals, quarterfinals, finals, which I think, I mean, those are words in the dictionary that mean what we're talking about. Elite eights, I say nice they're Elite Eight, cultural. it's elite
0: 16, it's all that. You, uh, for people who uh, aren't longtime listeners of TGAF, uh, you don't know that Jonah has an aversion to those phrases being used for anything except the NCAA tournament. I insist that they are universal and can be used for anything because it quite simply helps describe Uh, what a quarterfinal is, what a semifinal is, because sometimes I hear a quarterfinal and I have to stop and think, okay, now how many is that?
1: Is that eight? It's four games. They're quarters.
0: That's right. Where it gets tricky
1: is like, so Sweet 16 is what, a pre-quarterfinal? That's a little tougher when you get outside of quarterfinals. I don't know what the word is for octofinals. I guess that would be eight games. But, um, you know, I don't know. I I like to call it the Uh, (laughs) World I like to call it the World Series of Basketball. That's what we're covering here.
0: And there is some of that. There's a lot of international flavor. Uh, if, if players and also uh, Americans who have gone overseas and are playing internationally. But, all right, we uh, tell us about Blue Collar U. And, of course, we're going to have, uh, as I mentioned, Nate Oates is going to come by a little bit later and talk about uh, um, his thoughts of watching his former players uh, make this run. He is going to make the trip to Dayton. Um, uh, for Tuesday night's game, so he can be there. Uh, but um, what's just been your take of watching these guys perform and against? And that's what kind of the cool thing about the basketball tournament is. It's got a little NCAA tournament aspect to it. Is that you? It's not all the same conference. You got a mishmash of styles and teams that are assembled in different ways, and it's pretty cool from a game to game standpoint because, um it's, uh, you're hitting the reset button pretty much every game in a, in a single elimination tournament.
1: Well, my take on the tournament and specific, maybe more specific to this Buffalo team, but I think this is true with many of the teams, especially the alumni teams, is that it's a really good television product. It's kind of fun to watch because it's like a TV show where you know the characters. These are the players that you remember watching during UB's glory days when they went to the NCAA tournament four times in five years. And then by the nature of college sports, players graduate every four years and there's a, you got to learn a new group of players. And nowadays there's so many transfers and, and changing of the rosters, especially with, you know, the entire UB team is going to be new next year, say for two or three players and you're going to have to relearn who everybody is. So it's like bringing back all your favorite characters from a television show that have left and now they come back. And they're also older and a little bit ways, better players. So you're getting that and they're professionals now. So it's still, it has that college basketball appeal with the, the spirit and the pageantry and the schools that they represent, but it's also professional basketball and, and it's the name value players that you recognize. And I think, especially with this UB team, they got the best players that played at UB and really all of the players that they wanted. With very few exceptions, are on this team. And they weren't scrapping for bench players and guys like that, that that wouldn't help them quite as much. So it's really the all-star team of UB's best era, and really Western New York College basketball's best era. And I think if you're a basketball fan, if you're a big four basketball fan, this is about as good as it gets from an entertainment standpoint. Maybe it would be better if this in an NCAA tournament run and if you're there in the gym following along with a college team, but it's kind of the next best thing to that. If you soften your gaze, it does feel a bit like this is Buffalo in the NCAA tournament and go to play for a national championship tomorrow night.
0: What are the crowds like? And I know that Dayton, uh, which was uh, the Red Scare, uh, who you be uh, defeated in the semifinal round to advance to the championship game, that is their home court. It is uh, the Dayton Flyers uh, alumni team. Um, so, you had a push there uh, of locals. I, I saw in your story about 4,100 in attendance. Any idea what they're expecting for the championship game and, and how the, the crowd co- has compared at the different places you've been to what are fans, uh, what's the appetite here?
1: I, it'll be a lot less. Uh, so, I've covered the regional in Columbus last year, the regional in Syracuse, Onondaga this year, and now this championship in Dayton where Red Scare, the Flyers alumni team, was playing um, on both of the nights I've been there. And that drew pretty well, almost not quite filling the building, but more than 4,000 people. I don't expect the crowd to be anywhere close to that tomorrow night. I've seen that I think tickets are now 50% off. They're really trying to get Buffalo fans to come make the trip because I think the Dayton locals, there'll be some. Dayton really supports those first four games and the playing game before that. And Americana for
0: autism doesn't have that, that um, built in nexus. They're not from
1: anywhere. Right. Right. So I don't think it'll be a very big crowd. I think they'll put all of the fans together in one section where the TV camera makes it look like a little bit of a crowd, but I I don't think it'll be a very full gym. Like in Syracuse, they were about, they they filled that gym. It was 4,000 people for the game Syracuse was playing. And it was a hundred or 200 for the regional final when Buffalo was playing against that they call them the nerd team, a bunch of Ivy League guys. So yeah, I don't think it'll be a very big crowd. But I think if enough Buffalo fans make the trip, it could be a energetic crowd. And like it was in Syracuse, there might have only been 200 people there. But the 150 of them were UB fans sitting behind the bench and UB players and former players and coaches. So they had much like a high school gym, it doesn't need to be Filled with thousands of people to have a home court advantage. If you have a few hundred people right. by your side engaged in the game and cheering, kind of bounces off the walls in an empty gym a little bit. Uh, that could give Buffalo a bit of a, a home court advantage. They really thrived on being the road team the other night, I think. Especially talking to them, they said it was a lot like the MAC tournament games, where it's also a venue in Cleveland's Rocket Mortgage Field House, where it doesn't get completely full, but it has a few thousand people in there, and they're usually Ohio basketball fans in Buffalo won that tournament many times, but was kind of a visiting team. So there's a bit of that feel. Um, Tomorrow night, I do think it'll be much more of a neutral crowd because as you said, Americana for autism doesn't have a built in regional fan base to come with them. Uh,
0: Before we get to Nate Oates, I want to talk about the news of the day, Jonah. Um, And uh, that is uh, regarding Deshaun Watson and his uh, reported six game suspension uh, that is the recommendation by the independent arbiter who was brought in, Judge uh, Sue L. Robinson. Uh, stunner for me, six games. If you want to compare to other uh, types of suspensions, and I know that it's unfair in some regard to compare suspensions for different things, but that's the business that the NFL has gotten into with its uh, with how it legislates uh, punishment, how it meets out uh, accountability. And you have somebody like Calvin Ridley, who, while injured, bet on his team to win uh, and is suspended indefinitely uh, and at minimum for the entire 2022 season. Uh, you have Deshaun Watson, who is suspended for six games, no fine, with the exception of what he's losing from his game checks for those six games. Uh, He is expected then to make $46 million this year, I guess with all his different bonuses and salaries and, or whatever it is. Uh, I'm sorry. I think maybe I'm misspeaking on the, on that, but the, I'll take a look here uh, before we get off uh, before we get off uh, this topic and, and move on to Nate Oates, but um, 24 accusers. Uh, But uh, the one thing that I found fascinating with Judge Robinson's decision is that the NFL presented only five of those accusers in terms of uh, for consideration for this punishment. Um, Watson has settled civilly with most of uh, these accusers. Um, Everybody seems, uh, with the exception of the NFL, ready to move on. Uh, I don't know. I, I guess I'll I'll just kind of roll it over to you. Um, what did you think when you heard six games?
1: You know, I thought that was about what it was going to be. Um, I think maybe I thought eight games. Just kind of on the sensibilities of what other NFL players have been suspended for over the years, it's really taken a lot to get – a year suspension or a full ban and not to say Deshaun Watson didn't do a lot or hasn't been accused of doing a lot, but it just seemed to fit into the pecking order, if you will, as more of a half season suspension, but there was a lot of talk in the the media and, and coming into this that the NFL wanted a full year suspension and that maybe it would be that. And that, that was what a lot of people thought, he deserves. So, yeah, I, I don't know. This is kind of where I thought it would land and it is an independent arbiter. So I, I do think there's maybe some precedent that was used to kind of figure out what is an approach. Cause what is an appropriate football suspension for something and we don't know we what has gone in away from uh, the football field,
0: Judge Robinson's uh, thinking uh, quite yet. And I, as we record uh, this podcast and, and we're going to talk to Nate Oates too. So we're actually speaking while uh, information might be um, actually circulating now regarding that. So um, please stop screaming uh, at your uh, at your YouTube or at your uh, podcast platform of choice here. We may not be dealing with all of the gritty details uh, as we speak on this at the moment. but
1: Well, I think you also got to go back to maybe whatever it was 10, 12, 15 years ago when there wasn't a personal conduct policy and NFL players could get, would get arrested or accused of crimes and things they would do off the field, and there was really no means to punish them unless they went to jail or, or had some sort of legal ramifications that prevented them from practicing or playing. They could play through all of these things, and it's really a public relations issue for the NFL when they started suspending players for you know, committing crimes and doing awful things off the field. It was because the NFL looked like they were condoning all of this by allowing players to continue to play and continue to collect game checks while they were facing all these accusations and criminal charges. So it's really hard, I think, to kind of set that line and define what's the proper punishment because this isn't, he's not going to jail and this isn't a state punishment. So it's kind of a, a judge has to figure out what is the appropriate football ramifications, consequences for something that happened away from the game.
0: This is roughly what Ben Roethlisberger was suspended for. And then he uh, ended up with four games uh, based on appeal. Um, so Ben Roethlisberger, um, if memory serves, it was one accuser, maybe two. Uh, we have 24 accusers here with Deshaun Watson. Let me look this up uh, just to make sure.
1: Um, and what, but, uh, go ahead. but While you're looking that up, let me ask. I mean, so what do you think the function of this suspension is, is it to deter deter other players from doing something similar? Is it a public relations thing? Is it a real kind of consequence to Deshaun Watson for what he did? I mean, like for someone that I think you think it should have been a bigger suspension. What, what is the purpose of that?
0: Yeah, I think it's, (laughs) you know, that's a great question. And is the NFL a, Football business, or is it a law enforcement business? And I get what your what your uh, I get your angle there. Uh, I mean, what is their job here? If uh, you know, should should all this information be turned over to law enforcement so that way it can uh, investigate this? Um, versus um, only five cases being forwarded to Judge Robinson, um, and only. However, many cases went in front of a grand jury uh, before uh, no charges were decided to be filed. By the way, uh, Tony Busby, the attorney for the 24 accusers, uh, or for most of them, I think, um, says that there's only one. Settlement left outstanding that all but one of the settlements has been finalized because these, uh, the accusers want to move on with their lives. And and, and Deshaun Watson, uh, is motivated to, to move on with his. Um, so yeah, what is the purpose? Is it just to punish? Is it to rehabilitate? It's hard to rehabilitate uh, someone who, uh, denies doing anything wrong, uh, at least with, um, you know, with a lot of uh, incidences in uh, the NFL, when it comes to uh, being caught uh, doing something or being accused of doing something, there's an admission. uh, And then there is a kind of a rehab element to it. I'm I'm thinking of Michael Vick. Um, He went to federal prison. Uh, He admitted what he did was wrong. He learned about culture uh, that he grew up in and how uh, he was, um, he was misguided from a very young age to thinking that uh, what his behavior was okay. Um, and again, I'm, I'm not getting into the situation where I'm comparing uh, what each person was accused of, but I think that admission of guilt uh, plays a part. And are you admitting guilt even a little bit if you have settled 23 or 24 uh, cases, uh, civil cases? Uh, versus saying no, let's go to court. I didn't do anything wrong. Now, granted, uh, twenty-four—the sheer volume of that—there might be a financial, uh, the, a financial motivation to settle rather than go to court, and for expediency's sake. But twenty-four cases uh, of settling—it um, to me that is uh, that is a admission of at least being an idiot of being in of, I mean, 24 times you were in the wrong place at the wrong time. That, uh, that doesn't add up for me.
1: Yeah. I mean, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I was thinking about the, the settlement Kobe Bryant in his case, when he was charged with rape and it was settled and he never got convicted in the court, but he had to admit that he uh, did something wrong and misunderstood the intent of the situation and that, you know, he didn't believe that he uh, forced himself upon the woman. But now after the fact, he has understood that he did. And maybe there's something like that here where Deshaun Watson didn't quite understand the magnitude of his crimes when he was committing them. And maybe now that it's been litigated. Maybe he understands it a little more. Maybe he doesn't. I mean, probably the settlements sometimes just occur to get him out of the news and put him to bed. Um, I am curious, and I guess I'll always be curious why the grand jury didn't indict Deshaun Watson and, and kind of what's the legal line of, of why this never went into a criminal court, but it was in a civil court. And it's obviously been litigated by the NFL in some ways.
0: Well, grand juries are strange. And there's a reason why grand juries aren't a universal system in the United States. Some states have them. Some states don't. Uh, There is a grand jury uh, system in the state of New York, of course. But, you know, that old saying, you could uh, get a grand jury to indict a ham sandwich. And really what it comes down to in so many occasions when it comes to a grand jury is the grand jury will do whatever the district attorney has an appetite to do. Um, The ham sandwich goes both ways. Uh, You can also decline to indict uh, somebody who uh, may have done it uh, because uh, the DA and his or her staff can choose to present to the grand jury all kinds of different things. They can cast doubt. And these are secret, proceedings in which you don't get a transcript and you don't get to review what was said at this uh, by either uh, uh, by counsel from either side. And if you can convince this grand jury that uh, that I feel like I can indict this person or you can say, you know, we're bringing this in for uh, for you to take a look at, but we we're not real quite sure. We'd like you to tell us what you think. uh, Then it casts a lot of doubt. And the grand jury will say, well, if you don't think you, uh, and so it really comes down to, uh, in, in a lot of cases, in the criticism of grand juries, and yes, they do, they do have their, their benefits, but from a critical standpoint, grand juries, a lot of times are, are viewed as an excuse for the district attorney to a crutch, to say, well, the grand jury said we shouldn't indict, therefore, we're not going to, or the grand jury says we're going to indict, therefore, we will. Uh, and there, here it comes. Uh, it's, it's kind of like a Pontius Pilate uh, situation. Uh, I'm going to let you decide what I'm going to do without having to make the tough call uh, that, that the office uh, so often, uh, a lot of uh, people in the public thinks uh, the DA's office is supposed to make that call. They, they're supposed to make the tough decisions. Um, the grand jury instead is left to make the decision and it's anonymous unless the people come forward all these years it's very secret and so it can be uh
1: they were just going to put this on the grand jury shrug your shoulders move on seems rather undemocratic compared with kind of a lot of the other things in our legal system of grand juries work i've seen cases where i think innocent people were charged because grand juries tend to follow what the district attorney wants them to believe I do wonder what uh, your reaction on this.
0: Well, you covered a case that had, that involved that, didn't you?
1: I yeah, mean, I yeah, don't know. The, if, uh, I
0: mean, but there was a lot of evidence also. I, I, I don't know if we want to get no, into No, there that, was
1: really very little evidence. There was all circumstantial evidence. This is a uh, oral Nick Hillary was accused of murder. And then there's a documentary on um, HBO about this, who killed Garrett Phillips and, There were some local soccer connections. He was a soccer coach at Clarkson at the time, had played at St. Lawrence. And I covered that case. And anybody I think that's really paid close attention to it would believe he was innocent. There's no physical evidence, but he was. There was one grand jury that decided not to bring charges. And then there was a new district attorney, and the grand jury reconvened. And that was thrown out the first time because of something prosecutorial misconduct. But then a second grand jury was reconvened and eventually brought him to trial. And, and that was where I learned, but I've seen this in other cases, that if a district attorney wants to bring a case to trial, they can usually find a grand jury to go along with it. So I do- And vice if,
0: versa. They can talk the grand jury out of, you know, this is an unpleasant trial that we aren't, uh, uh, let's say that there's uh, you know, a controversial defendant or somebody who's being investigated who is a celebrity, and you can take this. Uh, well, I mean, that's kind of. This is a celebrity case. Um, and if you just don't want the, you don't want that smoke as a district attorney, um, it's. It would be easier for my career and easier for my day-to-day life if uh, if I didn't have to deal with all this bullshit. Then you can go in front of the grand jury and and artfully convince them that you don't have you don't have it all.
1: And maybe in this case, Rusty Hardin being such a prominent and skilled defense attorney might have been able to influence a grand jury in a way that.
2: Well,
0: that's part of the controversy that he was in, uh, that he was in contact with the DA's office uh, unbeknownst to uh, the defendant's attorneys, or I should say the accuser's attorney, uh, and was presenting, giving packets of all his information and and sharing his, you know, his thought process on how the defense was going to go. And they were in consultation, uh, or at least that was the, the insinuation is that they, they were in heavy contact before the grant, before the, uh, uh, the grand jury convened. Um, so yeah, Tony Busby, the attorney for the accusers was not too happy about that. And then there was another set of stories that says, well, this is something that's pretty common and, uh, there's, there's nothing, there's no skullduggery here. Um, so I didn't expect we'd get into uh, all these weeds. I think I was asking the question about Deshaun Watson from a, a more, uh, from a visceral standpoint. Um, but here, <laughs> but I guess that's what we come down to, right? We, we, we're trying to sort through our feelings and we have to go based on precedent and what's happened before. Uh, by the way, for the record, in April, 2010, Ben Roethlisberger was suspended for six games by the NFL for its, uh, 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 conduct unbecoming or whatever the hell uh, phrase they used. Uh, he had been accused of two, um, incidences, uh, and Ben Roethlisberger appealed, uh, and the suspension came out to four games. So a similar six game suspension, Ben Roethlisberger, two accusers, uh, Deshaun Watson, 24 accusers. And from a, selfish standpoint as somebody who grew up a Browns fan and also uh, got to uh, get into the whole the, the trenches with Steelers fans over the years. It's interesting to see the Steelers fans uh, gloating and vice versa about their their accused quarterback of choice and uh, all the, the different uh, pejoratives that were used for Ben Roethlisberger, but now Browns fans have their their own uh, their own version of of unpleasantness at the at the most important position on the field and uh, I see on social media they're defending it and of course that's that's what fans do and that's what they're gonna do uh, but it's uh, you're invested emotionally in those uniforms and your team uh, you need your team to win a Super Bowl before your father dies or before you die and uh, I this guy's gotta be good because he's our guy. Um, it's uh, it's uh, it's aggravating sometimes as a human being.
1: The the notion that the Browns made a big mistake and that they were going to dig themselves further into a hole with this trade and the contract and tying themselves to Deshaun Watson. I mean, it seems like that's not the case now, unless the appeal goes in a different direction. the <laughs> Browns are going to come out of this with what they wanted. Right.
0: Yeah, it does seem that way, Jonah. You're right, and I didn't even really think about it for, since, since I learned of these six games earlier today. I didn't really think about it from the Browns winning the deal standpoint, but six games is, is a paper cut uh, compared to what, what people were expecting, 12 games, a full season. Um, it should be noted that Deshaun Watson missed all of last season too, 17 games. So this really comes out to 23 games. However, he got paid last year too. It wasn't like he uh, suffered financially. Um, He he was paid. So, um, yeah, six games. It it makes the Browns look like, hey, if they were going to put up with this, then they have kind of almost weathered the storm. They're almost through it. And if Jacoby Brissett can win three of the first six games, then here comes one of the most dynamic quarterbacks in the NFL. And Browns fans are are going to be cheering every touchdown pass he throws. Um, that's just the way it is. And your fantasy team—he's going to get drafted in on your. Is somebody in your fantasy league is going to draft this guy. I don't. I don't know the that. Discount?
1: I, huh. At a nice discount, probably that'll could pay off late.
0: Sure. Oh, he has value now. Deshaun Watson is a value pick in your fantasy draft. Um, I'm saying that, you know, facetiously, I'm not, tr- I'm not, tr- I'm not trying to be, a, uh, I am trying to be a wise guy, but, uh, um, yeah, it just, it's distasteful to me and I don't, uh, it's hard for me to, it, it, part of, part of my mind thinks it's hard to comprehend and the other part of my mind doesn't want to care, uh, because it just makes no sense and I'm tired of so much of it. Um, Whatever. I mean, it's the and it goes, you know, it's my existential crisis that I've been having for for a while now. You know, the things that we cheer for, the things that we, uh, you know, the head injuries and the business side of it and, you know, just some of the, the, the drudgery. And, yeah, it pays my mortgage. Uh, the NFL does. So did boxing at one point uh, back when I covered that. I guess the way that I rationalize it is that I can continue to write about these negative things and and share my opinion and do my research and, and come up with, um, with points to make, uh, that balance, uh, the scale, at least somewhat when it comes to the the frothing fandom of making sure I got that Deshaun Watson jersey on, um, in week seven. Uh, so that way uh, he knows that, uh, I'm speaking as a as a generic Browns fan. I'm not speaking as Tim Graham, uh, but there there are people out there that need Deshaun Watson to know that he's their hero and they they love him. And uh, thank God it's only six games. I had done follow somebody today. It's uh, um, uh, a woman Browns fan who was happy that uh, he dodged a he dodged a, a longer uh, punishment, and I was just like, what the. It's just, I don't know. I know. I get it. I get it. I understand that fans check check out and their brain acts on a different wavelength uh, when it involves your players versus the other team. Um, But it's uh, I think that the being divorced from reality uh, like that is, is something I just don't have a lot of patience for.
1: It goes to the conversation we've had at times maybe more about musicians separating the art from the artist. And I think if you took every NFL player and were grading them on their social behavior and morality, and if there was a certain line that you had to certain threshold, you had to meet to play in the league, having never committed any bad acts off the field, you'd have a much smaller league, a much less talented league and a much less entertaining league. So I don't know if I'm, condoning that but i do think it's a normal way for people to consume an entertainment product that sometimes you have to have a little bit of that cognitive dissonance and only and journalists approach it differently but as a fan and somebody then just covering the action on the field you kind of got to put that aside sometimes and only really focus on the sport itself
0: yeah, that's true, and I think it reminds me, you know, of, of watching my son play Madden, and that's kind of what the games need to become for you to, like you say, uh, separate the art from the artist. If you still want to enjoy football, you have to imagine these guys as almost uh, not interchangeable parts from a talent standpoint, but they're almost characters. Uh, and uh, I, if you're able on Madden to acquire Deshaun Watson for your Madden Ultimate Team. Uh, organization and you don't have to worry about him getting in trouble in the Madden universe uh, because uh, there's no off field. Uh, There are no, uh, there are no masseuses uh, in Madden. Um, Although they say if it's in the game, it's in the game, but uh, they, they eliminate that stuff. Uh, Then you can kind of, you can reconcile that, right? Deshaun Watson's on my team and he just helped me win a championship in Madden. Uh, because i was able to to trade for him or get a, get his card in a pack or how you know the different ways that the teams are built um, and well, that's even, kind of what you need to do on sunday afternoon sometimes if you're a fan of of some teams
1: even if you don't morally reconcile it i think you just have to accept that there's players in any sport that have unsavory characteristics off the field or sometimes on the field in some of the acts that they commit penalties and things like that, but they're still good players. And if the point of pro sports is to put the best players and the best athletes together and compete for our entertainment. Um, I mean, then sometimes maybe these other moral factors, I don't want to say they become secondary, but you know, it can't just be the, You know, it's the Hall of Fame, not the Hall of Virtue. Sometimes we talk about that with whether Barry Bonds or Pete Rose should be in the Hall of Fame. And so I don't know. Ty Cobb, all the bad things that he did. I mean, I think that's just part of the history of sports, that there's bad dudes that are also great players, and that's just part of the complex nature of being a sports fan and a sports observer. 24 accusers. I just can't get past that number.
0: Um... I guess last question for you, Jonah. I guess, and I have no idea really what my opinion is. Well, let me is ask you on one this. real
1: quick. I Just as a yeah. quick follow So let's say Deshaun Watson got suspended for a full season or a season and a half, whatever maybe you or someone would think is a commensurate punishment. Then is it okay? Then are we okay with him serving his time and coming back into the league? Or does Deshaun oh, Watson, some of the commits, something like this, have to be banned forever for it to be a proper I have run two run.
0: opinions on this. I, I am. <laughs> I'm disgusted with Deshaun Watson's allegations. Again, these are allegations, nothing was proven. However, uh, I am choosing uh, to look at this uh, askance, 24 accusers uh, being settled, all these cases being settled. Um, The the evidence that that has come out in the reporting uh, and the different uh, uh, legal documents, all right, so there's that. There's also the Cleveland Browns. I think the Cleveland Browns should be punished. And I don't think six games is enough for Cleveland to be punished. They backloaded this contract so that way they could financially avoid having to pay or Deshaun. they allowed Deshaun Watson to wiggle out of uh, some uh, losing his game checks or losing big fat game checks. He is supposed to make, and I just want to make sure I get the number correct. Oh, I just closed out of his contract. Uh, Bear with me for a second. 690,000, I think it is. He signed his five-year, $230 million contract with a signing bonus of $45 million but his base salary this year is $690,000. So 690,000 divided by 17 games, $40,588 a game times six, He's going to lose $243,000 and change just based on that. And I think there might be some other factors that, that might go into your game check, but anyways, clearly done to circumvent uh, the anticipated suspension. And so Cleveland signed this guy knowing, all right, Deshaun, this is what you need. This is what you and your agent want. We want you bad enough. We are going to outbid you. And the Cleveland Browns aren't alone in in their um, avarice, in their in their lust for
1: Carolina Deshaun Stanford Watson.
0: System. Yeah, other teams wanted him too, but the Browns gave him what he wanted. And part of that obviously had to do with very little base salary in 2022. So that way, if he is suspended, uh, that it doesn't cost him a lot of money. So there's that part. I think that there should be a financial aspect to it, a steeper financial aspect to it, in addition to the civil money that he's choosing to pay out. And I think that the Browns should be punished for their wanton lust. I'll use that phrase again. Uh, And I don't think that six games is enough to necessarily derail them from the playoffs this year. And I think that they should have to take a bigger blow than six games as a franchise. So I know that the NFL, um, you know, the judge uh, Sue Robinson is looking at Deshaun Watson's behavior, but to me, there's another layer to this. And I think that the Browns, I think Deshaun Watson's getting off easy. And I think that um, the Cleveland Browns are getting off easy.
1: What about the Houston Texans who let this happen all under their nose and they end up getting draft pick compensation for trading Deshaun Watson. I mean, I I think that, and I don't know if they did or didn't, but it seems like they hid some evidence and knowledge from the rest of the league. And maybe if a lot more of this had come out a year ago, they would have had to release Deshaun Watson and, and wouldn't have gotten a big trade package for him.
0: Yeah. I think the whole thing's filthy all because the guy's a good football player. That everybody is willing to check their conscience and uh, give up whatever money's necessary and, and get reckless, really, and gamble. I mean, the Browns, I don't think that the Browns are, were um, cunning architects here in this deal. Yeah, they, they did all the things that I just said regarding the contract. But I don't think that the Browns fully knew everything. There was way too much information that came out. There were more accusers that came forward. They said they did their due diligence, and then they seemed surprised on almost a weekly basis for a little while. And I think the Houston Texans, it didn't seem like they did their due diligence either. So you had you had the Cleveland Browns just needing this quarterback so badly that they threw whatever money he wanted at him, made the trade, and still didn't quite know what they were getting. Uh, I don't uh, – would they do it again? I think based on the six game suspension, uh, they would do it again, but it would be interesting to see what their feelings are on their decision to go all in with Deshaun Watson from a PR standpoint, from an organizational standpoint, I'm sure that they've lost fans. They've probably lost uh, at least mentally. Uh, there are employees who have checked out. Um, this is the, the type of acquisition that could have uh, ramifications. Um, but I'm curious to see what their take would be, have been 24 hours ago as they were anticipating this move to be made and a belief that it could be a year suspension or the NFL wanted 10 to 12 games and a big fine Um, to go with six games and no fine. The Browns are breathing a sigh of relief. That's for sure. And so are their fans. Uh, Jonah, let's uh, take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to have uh, University of Alabama basketball coach Nate Oates, formerly the head coach at uh, UB, and he is going to talk to us about Blue Collar U and their run in the basketball tournament, one win away from winning $1 million. CTBK is more than just a full-service accounting firm. They are one team with an innovative approach to accounting and rise to each new challenge with collaborative problem-solving skills. CTBK goes above and beyond by lending helping hands in the Buffalo and Niagara community through volunteer work and donations and has partnered up with Victory Sports for 2020 and 2021 to keep kids in the community active. The professionals at CTBK are determined to help individuals and businesses succeed. Whether a large corporation, a small business, or somewhere in between, call CTBK at 716-630-2400. Again, 716-630-2400, and see what CTBK's one-team approach can do for you. We're joined now by the head coach of the University of Alabama's basketball program, Nate Oates, but uh, there may be a Crimson Tide question here or there, but that's not why he's joining us. He's joining us to talk about Blue Collar U, of which his fingerprints are all over it, uh, and uh, at least from a recruiting standpoint and getting all these guys together at one point, I know that you want to give your credit to uh, to your staff who's been running uh, the Blue Collar U team here, but Nate, I'm sure that as you watch these guys make a, make a run here, one victory away from the winner-take-all, $1 million prize in the basketball tournament, there's a, there's a sense of pride uh, that you've had some involvement here.
2: No, a lot. I mean, those guys are competitors, shoot, they won us a lot of games. To be honest with you, I wouldn't be at Alabama if it wasn't for those guys playing in that tournament, and I think everybody can see why we were able to win as many games we did. I mean, they really compete. They play well. They're about the right stuff. They play well together as a team. So, you know, a couple of them I coached in high school as well. It wasn't for them. In high school, I would have never got to Buffalo. All the guys at Buffalo, if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't be at Alabama. So. You know, I'm pulling as hard as I can, and Adam and Brian both you know, with, here with me at Alabama. But, again, they were with me all four years at Buffalo. If it wasn't for those two, we wouldn't be here either. So happy to see everybody succeeding. We got to we get one more, win the whole thing. and be outstanding to see win the whole thing.
0: Obviously, blue-collar you, it's right there in the name, and everybody sees the hustle plays. Uh, you take a look at the statistical leaders, and we're at least heading into the semifinals. You didn't see a lot of guys, uh, or if any, in the top 10 in things like scoring and assists, but they're certainly there in rebounds, block shots, uh, doing all those types of things that, um, hey, look, scoring baskets is fun, and I'm sure that Steve Kerr is not embarrassed uh, to have the team that he has, but isn't there something extra when you have a team that is known for the thankless aspects of the job? Uh, those plays that don't necessarily show up in the box score, but uh, but you know it's in these guys, and that uh, um, there's a certain something uh, that that not every player has when they play this
1: way.
2: Yeah, I mean it's it's great. I mean, you watch a kid like Carruthers, who you know I, he doesn't score that much every game. He starts form every game, and he just changes the whole dynamic of the games with how hard he plays on D. You know they've got they added Devonte for the you know the Dayton part of it, and he you know he hasn't played as much because you know I think he was just added late, but you know those two guys did a lot of that for us. But then you even have the 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 more talented scorers on the team, willing to and and more than willing to wanting to do kind of blue collar dirty work. You know Wes Clark's been all about winning. I he. I mean, I've coached that kid since his freshman year in high school. Like, he's one of the most competitive winners I've ever been around. But then C.J. comes and, you know, C.J.'s real unheralded coming into Buffalo. Well, that was the way he got on the floor his freshman year. He had to guard. He wouldn't have played. We didn't play him because of his offense. Now, his offense got really good. You know, he scored 36 against Ohio as a freshman. He scored 17 at Duke against Brandon Ingram. And, you know, but – he had to get on the floor by playing defense. Perkins, I mean Perkins, is just moving people inside. It's fun to watch because they they impose their will on other teams by how hard they play and how, how much of the kind of dirty, grimy, blue collar work that they're able to do. And next, I mean, the probably my favorite part of this whole tournament was when they had the game. They were down two. You know, the other team called the uh, timeout to set the ELM ending. We're down two at the time. We finished the game on a 10-0 run. We need to get 10. The other team need to get eight. <laughs> they had zero. We had 10. I mean, it was just like we come up, We came out of the time forced a turnover, went down, scored. And we, you know, we weren't scoring every time that then either. We just kept getting stop after stop after stop after stop and basically just imposed our will on them. They, they almost quit and yield them ending. So it was uh, it's fun to watch. I think that's why we won a lot. We obviously have really talented players on offense, too. That helps. But I don't think you can win. If you look at the teams that have been bounced from this TBT tournament, there's some really talented offensive players that are making a ton of money in Europe, and they're they're not in here anymore. Like, there's maybe some more talented teams. There's nobody that plays harder every possession and plays more together than Blue Collar U is doing right now.
1: You know, you coached most all of these guys uh, either in – at UB or some of some of them in high school but you didn't have the opportunity to coach them all together they're from different classes different UB teams kind of blended together Um, I mean are you envious at all at some of the five-man lineups that Adam Bauman's able to put out there and you know what might have been like if all of these guys had played together at the same time at UB I
2: yeah I I I mean it would have been great shoot to add all the different guys together I mean Bowman's One's doing a great job, but yeah, I mean, it would be fun. You know, It's like we had Blake, we never had Blake and Jeremy together. Those two guys together are both like kind of a little bit of do everything, play the, you know, Blake started at the one for us this senior year. We played Jeremy with the ball in his hands a lot. You put two, you know, six, 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 seven wings out there that can pass from one shoot. That, that would have been fun. But, you know, they were both really good in their own eras. Blake, Blake obviously hit the shot to send us to our, first NCAA tournament when I was a head coach, you know, Xavier was there with Hurley. If we don't win, you know, with Coach Hurley, I'd never get the head job. So Xavier's a big part of that first teams there that got to the first NCAA tournament in school history. So, you know, and, and if they don't have Xavier, they don't win the one game early when they needed him to get all the rebounds. So, you know, he, he came in, gave him a huge lift. We couldn't get a rebound. Xavier's big, strong, athletic kid that plays hard. So, yeah, you kind of see all the different – he's got all different pieces he can put together and, you know, be nice. To, I think there's a few more guys even. You know, I think this will keep growing. Shoot, we made the Final Four now we're in the championship. If we win the championship, I think maybe they get a couple other players. They see the payout. If we can win this thing tomorrow night, The uh, some of the players that aren't playing now see the payout they get. Maybe they'll, they'll get together for a few weeks. It's not a bad payout for a few weeks here.
1: Especially the – Next year, the regional could very well be in Buffalo at alumni arena.
2: Yeah, I think they're trying to host it. I think uh I you know we can plug that. That's uh I think they have to get air conditioning in that gym to be able to host it. I still can't believe they don't have air conditioning. I know Buffalo's not Tuscaloosa, but it still gets hot in the summer. And uh that gym needs air conditioning if you're gonna work out in the summer there and they don't have it yet. So I think they have to get air conditioning to host the tournament. So Maybe we can get the administration and some uh, donors to put put that thing together and get some air conditioning in the building so we can host it. They'd sell that place out every single game, no problem, if uh, Blue Collar U was playing and it's that would be great if they could host it next year.
1: It isn't just Buffalo and the players and the teams that you coach being represented here, but it's also the culture, that culture playbook that you came up with, the catchphrases and the hard hat. talk a little bit about how that came about. And, you know, I always wonder, like, who's – Whose idea was it to, to give out a hard hat every game? And, and now it's going on still at Alabama and still in this tournament.
2: It's actually kind of a neat backstory. I just, you know, Lindsey Hunter was our assistant the one year and he played with those Detroit teams that were really blue collar and kind of took that whole dynamic. And he just walked in one day, you know, he'd get kind of disgusted with our guys. He used to working with pros, he was a head coach in the NBA, and, and we're not blue collar enough. And I was like, you know what? He's right. We're not. So I said, started talking about, we, how do we get blue collar? Well, Bowman had been at Southern Illinois when they were really good, made the Sweet 16 run, and they were, they were definitely blue collar. And they they called them hustle stats, maybe I forget. So he kind of had that, and we kind of put the whole thing together. All right, we're going to we're gonna call them blue collar points. We're going to, you know, took kind of from Bowman. Lindsey was the one who first used the term, so I – we had to tell the players what blue collar meant. Here's what blue collar is. Here's what we need to be. We got some guys that want to be real showtime, but uh, it's not working. We ain't winning enough. Like, then we uh, kind of, I think the staff kind of came up with the idea of the hard hat. Arnie, that was with me there, kind of our mental skills coach, got the blue collar, uh, got the hard hat, one of uh you know he was a pastor at a church up there one of the members of the church that i attended the church he uh one of the members there kate got a real hard hat from a real construction site and gave it to us we kind of put the the buffalo's you know the horns symbols on it and then we uh we ended up getting those shirts that we used to wear so we kind of just made it kind of a life of its own and guys really bought into it but we, we had to have the right guys to buy into it too you know you had a dante carruthers in the mix who's like a torpedo, like a on a suicide mission out there every game, like throwing himself on every loose ball, taking every charge, making every tough play he could possibly make. It just played into the whole thing. And, and it worked, it worked pretty well for us. Uh, you know, we were there four years. Uh, I was there six years, four as a head coach. And, you know, so Bowman and Brian were there four years. We went to the tournament three out of four years. And I mean, you look, go watch our game against Arizona. Uh, we, we, kind of took it to them with the whole blue collar so they couldn't even run offense. Our guys were so into them and playing so hard and everything. So it worked well for us. We're, we're trying to establish it here. I think in year two, we we were the hardest play. I felt like we were the hardest playing team in the country here at Alabama, and, you know, we went 19-2 and two against SEC teams that year. So it's, you know, if we can get the right mix and really keep pushing the whole blue collar thing, I think we proved it, it can win at a high level in college basketball.
0: Nate, how do you think the blue collar you mentality, which we've just been, we've been talking about pretty much this entire, um, this entire interview, but the, how it plays in a tournament like the TBT where you have guys who are collected yes, they practice together. And in a lot of cases they came from the same uh, college program. So they're ingrained with certain things like uh, you had uh, at the university of Buffalo, But when you get everybody together in a tournament like this to stay within that that uh, that dynamic, I guess, of the selfish or the selflessness, the hustle stats, those things, because I'm guessing you get in a tournament like this, you want to shoot. I mean, you come out to play in these tournaments, you want to do like you you use the the word uh, showtime a little bit. Um, It's it's for fun. And I think when people, if you're if you're going to be playing basketball with a chance to maybe not make much money at all if you don't win it, um, you probably have a high degree of people who were sign up for this tournament and want to be a part of it just because it's fun, not because it's going to be the hard work and all the things that it takes to to maybe pull out these wins.
2: Well, it's, it's on ESPN and that helps too, right? All these all these That's guys right. on ESPN and you know showcase some of those guys are trying to get a better contract in Europe off this. I mean, it, it happens every year that guys that play well in TBT and it's all over ESPN and guys make more money. So there's definitely that. I mean, you watch like NBA Summer League, any of those showcase type deals where the players are going to be able to make more money if they play well. They tend to get real selfish sometimes. Well, it's hard to win when you got real selfish players on your team. So I think it speaks to the character of the guys that, you know, Brian and Adam have put together on the team, you know, they didn't take every kid that's played at Buffalo that played for us. They were selective. They've got the core of the group that won, but I think they took the – and there's probably some guys that maybe they'd like to have that, for whatever reason, couldn't make it. There's, you know, I don't want to say anybody that's not on this team wasn't high character because there's definitely some really high character guys that contributed a lot to our winning that that aren't on it. But the, the core group, let I me mean, talk about CJ. If he hadn't got mono the one year, he'd be the leading scorer in school history. You know, Perkins, three-time, six-man of the year, and one of the best players to ever play at Buffalo. Like they, I mean, those, those guys are a core, core group of those guys. I think when you bring them back together and they, they show that we're, we're just about winning. I mean, Wes Clark's been all about winning. Every year I've coached him, whether it's high school, college, anything. He, I mean, he's like the ultimate winner. But all those other guys have shown, like, they're all about winning. And Brian and Adam, have, you know, there's always a – occasional flare-up on the bench with, I mean, they, you guys want to play, they're intense, but it's, it hasn't really been like that as I talk to them. Like, guys are pretty unselfish, selfless, if you will, and they're really all about the team. And I I mean, it's, it's fun to watch. I mean, you see the ball movement on offense, you see the rotations on defense. You, Montel I'm, I'm McCray has not played a ton. He's taken three charges in this tournament. Like, kind of gives himself up for, for the team. But even you know even late game, you just like we get good shots. We get better shots than the other teams. The ball moves more. I think we've got more guys that are about winning and less guys that are about themselves, and that that's why they're in a the championship game. That's why they made a Final Four the first year they played.
1: What What do you think? You know, this the last three alumni teams that have won: Ohio State, Syracuse, Marquette. They're power conference teams that are on ESPN every night. What is could this mean the success and the CSPN exposure mean for UB basketball and UB recruiting and the athletics program in general that I think you guys were only on the main ESPN network, maybe one time in the four years that you coached there. And now I think they've been on it four or five times in the past two summers. You know, what does that mean for a program?
2: I think it's huge. I mean, it's, Buffalo's got really good players that have come through there. You can go to Buffalo and still make a lot of money. I mean, Wes Clark, there were four point guards in the state of Michigan ranked in the top 100 in 2013. Wes is the only one of those four that hasn't played a game in the NBA, and I would not have traded him for any of the other three. I thought he was better than all of them. I mean, what – you know, he's like that close to – I mean, he's going to make a ton of money in Europe. Nick Perkins making a ton of money in Europe. C.J. Mass – like, there's players making good money over in Europe. You can go to a place like Buffalo and still – have a high level of success and make a lot of money, you know, over in Europe, you know, you see Jonathan played a decent amount on the summer league team this summer. Like he's, you know, he's, he's going to have a really good career as a professional, you know, Segu is on a summer league team. So there's, there's players that played at Buffalo that even before we got there, I mean, Mitchell Watts made a lot of money overseas, you know, it'd be nice if they could get Mitchell maybe playing this thing. I think it's, maybe the big they need, you know, I don't, Mitchell's a little older, so maybe he needs to rest himself in the summer. I don't know, but you know, there's been really good players that have come through there and you can, you can make it. So I think the exposure that again, if they win it, like you said, I think the only other teams that have won this thing are either like the overseas elite who's winning it all the time or like these high major alumni teams. So uh, it also speaks to the level of talent we were able to accumulate when we were at Buffalo, which Speaks to the recruiting that, that our staff was able to do when I was there.
0: I know it doesn't hurt, uh, Nate, uh, but is there a way that Alabama can can capitalize on this a little bit too? And obviously, being in the SEC, the margin for uh, something like the, the, the basketball tournament to really significantly boost your, your program is not as great as it would be if for a mid-American conference school. Uh, but they're wearing the blue jerseys. Uh, it's, it's, uh, the Buffaloes, all the references, but it's pretty much your staff. Uh, and these were the guys you recruited. So I'm not saying that, uh, you know, feel sorry for Nate Oates, uh, because he's not getting more credit, but is there something, is there a boost that can, that can happen for Alabama basketball out of this?
2: Listen, I, I don't need any credit. I'm, I'm, I'm fine. Those players, uh, I probably got too much credit when I was at Buffalo to be honest with you, cause the players are the ones that win the game. So. I love watching them. I haven't missed a game. I, I mean, we record them at home. We had the hard fire game on last night at the house again. <laughs> so it's, it's fun watching them. I, I, I do think probably the biggest area it helps us here is it realizes like we were able to build a family atmosphere there at Buffalo. Those kids all love playing with each other. You know, Adam and Brian are you know, on paid staff here at Alabama, but you know they're they're up there working you know, because they, they have a relationship with these guys and they really love the players. So we're building the same type of family atmosphere here. You know, we've got former players that come here, work out all summer. Herb Jones is in the gym just Friday, you know, started all years a rookie for the Pelicans. You know, Colin Sexton comes back around all the time. Kyra Lewis here. There's there's a lot. Levi Randolph. Like we're trying to build a, a family here, like a program where guys are welcome to come back and I think people see that we were able to build that at Buffalo and what we built there we're just trying to build here on a high major level with more talented guys but still guys that are unselfish all about the team and I think you can win doing we've proved we can win we won big in year two here so you know we've made back to back NCAA tournament so I think just that the culture that you build works and you're seeing that culture show up in blue collar you and we're going to see that culture down here if we continue to build it like we've been building it.
1: Speaking of blue collar players from Buffalo, you got one coming into your Alabama program this year, and Dominic Welch. What does he bring to your team? And what can you say about the way his game has developed from being West New York's all time leading scorer in Chictawaga to a prep school in four years at St. Bonaventure? How have you seen his game grow in that period?
2: Well, yeah. I mean, you talk about blue collar stuff. I mean, he's leading our team in charges, taking. He hasn't, I mean, he takes a charge every time it's there to take. He's got no problem giving his body up to make team better on defense so you know i love that about him he obviously i don't know if he was doing all that in high school but he was scoring a lot of buckets i wouldn't watch him play you know at cheek to waga there i remember the game in high school i think he had 45 and it was pretty effortless so you know he's obviously gone up in levels high school prep school st bonnie's now he's at alabama you know at the highest level of college basketball there is like we need him to make shots you know he's a A really good shooter. We're going to continue to need him to make shots. And, you know, he's going to also have to do the blue collar stuff, rebound, take charges, get loose balls. He's got a high Q on the defensive end. He knows how to, you know, come off screens, read screens on the offensive end. And and we, you know, we take a lot of threes. We've been top 10 in the country and threes taken per game every year we're here. One of the years we were number one in the country. But last year, I think we were 303rd, 307, something like that in three point percentage, like if we're Is gonna that good? Three, that's not – what? Is that good? No, that's terrible. That's the, the wrong end. They, I, we, uh, I'm being mean a wise to, guy. We're going to be top ten and threes taken. Let's try to be, you know, <laughs> right. better teams in percentage of threes. So we need some shooters in here. So we targeted him in the portal because he can shoot, and we knew him from high school and knew he's a good kid. And He's been great since he's been down here this summer. So hopefully he makes some shots for us over in Europe. We're taking a European trip, leaving Friday. That's the thing with Adam and Brian, like they're going to get done playing this game Tuesday, three days later, we take a plane to Barcelona and we're, we're in Europe for 10 days over there. So they got a busy summer.
0: Nate, I hope I'm not putting you on the spot here with the question. I mean, it's tough. It's probably even tough for the, the, uh, the blue collar you coaching staff. So with you being all those miles away, do you... Are you able to take a do a uh, some advanced scouting on Americana for autism, uh, and right. see what they what they have uh, uh, that what they're going up against on Tuesday
2: night? Yeah, I do. I've got the games on my computer. They sent me their games. I'm, I've got all right. I mean, Adam Adam helps me on the offensive side of the ball, so me and Adam are always talking of the other team's garden and all that. So, what do you think? I, I mean, we there's some matchups we're gonna go at. I'm not gonna throw the whole scouting report out there now and but, but we're we what well, if we do what we're supposed to do we're gonna win this game that's that's what I think so I think uh I think Adam's got a really good feel for what he wants to do the players those guys are all pros that are playing on that boot cow and Adam said that to me like the first practice or two he had you know they go back and practice for a week he's like man it's nice coaching pros you put one thing in and they know it right out of the gate, and. It's also nice having Wes Clark, who's got a really high IQ. You know, he's he's getting on some of the guys about like, what do you what do you mean you can't run zipper you're, set? You're you're a pro, like you don't know what a zipper set. Like, what, what are we doing here? Like, what? <laughs> Wes 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 has always had a high IQ. Now that he's been a pro for a few years and knows like everything inside and out, all the little. I mean, what there's some guys on that team that could be coaches. Uh, you know, Ed Ed Dennis didn't play for us, but he's CJ's best friend. If anybody's going to be CJ's best friend, you know they're going to have high character. I've I watched some clips of him talking in the locker room, and, you know, he's on the aging side of things. It sounds like he could have decided to be a, be, a, be a coach too and done pretty well at it, and I've gotten to know it a little bit from being down in Dallas visiting CJ, and he's come up to Buffalo to visit too. So, I, you know, I, I like the roster makeup. I think we've got a great chance to beat beat the team. In the championship, but they but but they're good. I mean, they're really good. We're gonna, you know, they've got they've got a lot of really talented players. But I think I think Adam and Brian and Tom Fox, who was our video coordinator when I was at Buffalo, he's he's an assistant for him too. You know, he's doing a good job helping them uh, get these scouts together. But yeah, they send me they we transfer me the clips. Uh, our our kind of our managers here have been helping Adam break down video and send it to him. So they they're they're doing it like it's. I mean, they're doing the scouting report, an old deal. They're on it.
1: Wes was coaching up the refs the other night when they were making a lot of calls early. He was kind of reminding them that this was a game where they didn't need to uh, blow the whistle too much.
2: Wes is always uh, one to talk to the coaches, the refs, everybody the opposing team. He, he's got no problem talking out there. He's, he's a salesman for sure. So he's, he's great. I, I, I love coaching that kid. I love watching him play. I've been talking to him on the phone uh, pretty frequently too. So that's uh, Wes is my guy.
0: Yeah, Blue Collar U is one victory away from winning the $1 million, which will be put right back into Alumni Arena for air conditioning, I'm sure. No, uh, all they- those guys will just they'll just chip in. Or I think what should happen, it would go into the whole Blue Collar U ethos if they forfeit the air conditioning and say, this is the way we play here. And it's going to be an extra element of this tournament, and you're going to have to come just like you had to play outside at Rucker Park. Uh, You know, there were no facilities at Rucker Park. Uh, It's going to be tough here at Alumni Arena where there's no AC. And uh, that's what Blue Collar is all about.
2: You know, if you could play a game at Rucker Park, maybe, you know, they obviously don't have air conditioning at Rucker Park. It's a good point, Tom. Maybe that shouldn't be a pre-write. If you're going to play at Rucker Park, you can play in – I just think if you put (laughs) 7,000 people inside a a building – and it, it doesn't get too hot in Buffalo. Now that I've been in Alabama, it's, Buffalo summers are really good, but it still gets a little warm up there. The floor, yeah, the it's floor, not like the, you can – The floor, I'm going to say this. It would be dangerous to play without air conditioning. The floor is going to get a little wet and uh, slippery. And so at Rucker Park, like the, the asphalt doesn't get dangerous if it gets too hot out there. Good so point. That, that's a little bit of an issue.
0: It takes a little bit more than just opening a couple of doors uh, at either end of the gym, Those which alumni – Alumni Arena is kind of like that. You know, it's like the old high school gym. Let's open up a couple doors here and a couple doors on the other side. We'll get a breeze coming through.
2: We never got AAC, but we got the huge fans that they got an alumni uh, there. So that was when when we were there. We got those.
1: Well, Nate, uh, we appreciate you doing this, uh, taking uh, some time. Can I I get Nate out of here on one question? You got a minute? Just wanted to ask about one white-collar worker, our former co-host, Mike Brodak's down there covering the Crimson Tide now for AL.com. White-collar you. Um, you know, what's your scouting report on Mike Rodak
2: as a basketball writer? I mean, he's definitely white-collar. I don't see anything blue-collar about Mike. But he, he's been good. He's been, he's been really good. I, I like having uh, Mike here. He's, he's one of the better guys. He's, you know, he's from up. It, it was good to have the connection, too, from up, up there in Buffalo. But, I mean, it's, you know, the, the, there's a, a few more reporters in our uh, press conferences here. At Alabama, than there was in Buffalo. You know, we we, had, we had good, I thought we had great coverage in Buffalo. I love the you know for the most part. I like most of the writers. We had you know the one negative one here there. But you guys were both great. I, uh, Mike was great. Mike's been unbelievable since he's been down here. So Mike Mike reminds me occasionally of our times back up in uh, Buffalo area. So negative no, writers. Note, it's note.
0: a ma- it, it's tough to imagine you having a, a a bad experience in Buffalo with as much success as you had. Three tournaments
2: and four seasons. I'm sure Jonah knows what we're talking about, but there's, you know, there's a few, we'll talk there. about it off the air. I, I, and I've probably
0: heard the stories over beers uh, from <laughs> no. here or there.
2: <laughs> no, but they, they like The Buffalo reporters have all for the most part been great. So for the most they, they've been, they've been good down here. I mean, winning helps. It seems like your relationship with everybody's better when you're winning writers, you know, administration fans, all of it. So let's, right. let's just, keep, let's just keep winning.
0: Hey, thanks for this. Um, uh, I guess good luck Tuesday night. I mean, I know oh, you're, yeah. you're, you're emotionally invested luck. at least.
2: I'm definitely invested in it. We got a little bit of time and some scouting, definitely emotionally invested. We're, we're, we're in it. I'm calling it our team, even though I'm not there helping them coach. So I feel like it's my team a little bit. It's our team.
0: See if you can convince somebody to wear at least a little red on Tuesday night. You know, it's fair is fair.
2: There you go. We, we, we'll you know, get
0: you
1: in here, Tim. You can wear all the red. I, right.
0: Well, Tuesday, I'll be watching from Elmo's. Uh, Jonah will be at uh, at the arena. He'll be in Dayton covering this live. He's been covering all the games. It's awesome. Um, see, that's the other thing about Blue Collar U. Jonah's been following the games live, unlike some of the other outlets. In fact, all the other outlets. No, no, they're yeah, not doing know. what Jonah's
2: doing. Jonah's been good. Jonah's been good to us all the years I was there. It's great. So, it's yeah. It's awesome you guys are covering a live too. I think it's great you're in Dayton. It's a big deal. I, I like the games are on ESPN. I mean, it's like you said, how many games, how many Mac games are on ESPN? Like the ESPN. I mean, we get ESPN U and ESPN. The championship
0: game, maybe. Is that on ESPN all the time or is that on ESPN 2? ESPN 2, I think.
2: Yeah. yeah I, I can't remember, to be honest with you. So, no, it's big. I think it's great you guys are there. So, I'll, I'll see you there on Tuesday night, Jonah. Looking all right, forward I'll to it. right, I'll see you. I'll be Nate Oates. see you right next the to me. That we do. Horns up. Is that it? Oh, did you forget?
0: As you're asking us, you forgot. <laughs> no, that should I be in muscle forget. memory right now. You're probably doing it not, uh, subconsciously. Does Felicia uh, still
1: do
2: it in Syracuse? In Tuscaloosa. Oh, yeah.
1: She was at the game in Syracuse tonight. We got her picture of him and, her and Coach Weissel both doing the horns up. I go. have trouble with it. I can't really get the fingers up that but... way.
2: <laughs> All right. You guys have a good time. Take care, Nate. Horns, horns up and roll tide. Take care.